This is the Bird Dad Podcast. I'm Ian Carlson. It's late May, and the trees at Florida Lake Park have not yet leafed out, and I have a look at a most beautiful bird. A great crested flycatcher. They're not the flashiest bird, nor the rarest. They're a slender, gray, robin-sized bird with a greenish-yellow belly and a distinctly pointed head. Though only thought of as uncommon, they're surprisingly elusive. They're in a category of unicorn birds, and I'm borrowing this from Chris Cooper, a New York birder who describes the category thusly. After you've been birding for a little while, you become familiar with a bird from seeing it in the field guide, but you've never seen it in real life. It takes on a mythological status. Then, One day, there it is, in real life. Almost like a unicorn walking out of the forest. The first time I saw a great crested flycatcher, it was 2016, and I was still a youngish birder. I was birding my local city park, and there it was, out on a well-lit branch, clear as day, and making that distinctive vreep sound. Though I've had better looks at other individuals of that species, that memory for me remains so very clear. It was a life bird for me, and one of the first life birds I've ever found on my own. The simple convergence of long hours spent studying field guides and hanging out in the right habitat. Suddenly, it felt like a place had opened up in the birding world for me. Florida Lake is a strange name for a pond in Maine. My wife and I have often speculated about the provenance of this name, but have yet to come up with a real answer. It's Floridian, perhaps, in its shallow, man-made nature, but strolling among the hemlocks, tall pines, and sugar maples, you are unquestionably in New England. Here's a recognizable song of the eastern North American woods. An oven bird. Clear and bright and fond of singing throughout the day. That distinct, rising call, teacher, 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 is an easy identifier. Now all that noise is coming from a teensy warbler of about 21 grams. For comparison, that's the weight of about eight pennies, or half a golf ball, or 
one-fifteenth the weight of a human heart. When waiting for a bird to reveal itself, I like to let my focus soften. Peripheral vision is much better at detecting movement and changes in light, and a wide range of vision helps pick up any small feathered friends who might be trying to discreetly fly out the back of a bush. Or, in this case, not a bush, but a copse of young hemlock trees. I stop and wait. But in true bird dad fashion, no oven birds emerge to delight my eyes. But there is what looks to be the remains of a morning dove resting near the path. Tan blue and white feathers line a purplish wad of gizzards and bone. Probably the work of a hawk, a cooper's, or a sharpshinned. A yellow rumped warbler sometimes called a butterbutt by birders due to its bright yellow rump, flits down from a nearby tree. It hops towards the corpse. It eyes the grisly scene for a moment and then picks a white downy feather up in its beak. There's a bit of gore still dangling from the calamus or the quill of the feather. The warbler flies to a nearby branch where it rubs the gore off and then flits down the path, feather and beak, and vanishes behind a pine tree. The feather, I assume, will be a choice lining for its nest. Out on the lake, the tree swallows are building their nests as well. Someone has set up nest boxes along the lake shore, and there's an intense competition going on. They're squabbling over a large white downy feather, presumably from a Canada goose, that one of them is clutching in its teensy feet. There are about 30 of them in the air, though they're difficult to count as they turn and wheel, flashing this iridescent beetle blue against the gray morning sky. They're such dainty little birds, with button eyes and tiny beaks, but they can be surprisingly fierce. Clutching onto the side of a nesting box, the feather-wielding swallow does battle with another male perched on the top of the box, with one foot clinging to the rough wood and one foot holding the feather. He twitters and snaps at the other male, trying to gain entrance into the nest box. Then... A surprise. There's another swallow inside the nest box. It pokes its head out of the hole and nips at the feather carrier's throat. The feather carrier plummets down, and the defending pair pursue. They peck and stab with their tiny beaks, driving him down to the surface of the lake. It looks like for a moment they intend to submerge him. But doing so seems to be too great a risk, and at the last moment the very last moment, they break off. I let out the breath 
I didn't realize I was holding. Feather still in its grasp, our nest-seeking male flies out and around, looping around some other birds who have decided they too might want the feather token. Suddenly, our male swoops right back into the same nest box. I wait, expecting an eruption of tiny feathers and fury. But no, the other pair has left the box. He deposits the feather and perches at the entrance, ready to defend the box from another would-be occupant. No other challenger arrives. Perseverance pays off. Tree swallows, it is believed, will use token items like that goose feather to claim the best nesting sites, though it is hard to believe in the propriety of swallows after watching such a ferocious spectacle. As I'm somewhat limited in my range of travel this year, I find myself starting to appreciate the behavior of more familiar species, like these tree swallows. I've found a lot of enjoyment, deepening my knowledge of them through closer observation. My first record of observing a tree swallow was six years ago, though I'm sure I had seen some before that. Most of my observations since then have simply been counting the number of individuals present. And here, by the lake, I start to reflect and wonder, did my focus on counting them prevent me from really seeing them? That's a good question for a later episode. Right now, there are still a few more miles of trail ahead and less and less time before I have to get back to my regular life. It's time to take a sip of coffee, take a breath of fresh morning air, and see what else lies ahead. This podcast is written, recorded, and produced by me, Ian Carlson. Music by Doubletone. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to drop me an email at birddadpod at gmail.com. That's birddadpod at gmail.com. Special thanks goes out this episode to my 92-year-old Nana, who recently started listening to this podcast and who replied to the last episode saying, 
I loved it. Tweet, tweet. I love you too, Nana, and I'm happy that you're listening. Tweet, tweet. Reap.